My name is Mark, and I am a grateful alcoholic. I am so very, very thankful, so very, very happy to be at a meeting of SBS. Uh, I, uh, I wait for this meeting each year. It's such a special, uh, it's such a special meeting, and it's so good to be f with family and with friends. This program has meant so much to my life for the past 13 years, and it has meant so much to me and to my family. And uh, I am truly grateful. Uh, I had a chance to speak with the speaker a little earlier and uh, was very impressed uh, with the way that uh, he has worked with others. And we had similarities in some of the people that we have worked with. And uh, it's, it's just a great honor. But it brought to mind uh, one of my favorite sayings and this means so much to me and means so much uh, and explains to me this program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the millions of people that it has helped and helped to change and to save their lives as it has done for me. But helping one person may not change the world but it could change the world for one person. And that's what this program has done for me. And it is my great honor to introduce our speaker, James T. I'd like to turn the meeting over to him. James Alcoholic. My palms are a little sweaty and my knees are a little shaky and heart's going fast. And I got to thinking, I used to pay a lot of money to feel this bad. <laughs> I want to thank Monica and the committee for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I want to uh, have a disclaimer before I get going. I'm not an expert on AA at all. I'm just a, somebody that's staying sober one day at a time. And that blue book that we have around here, that's the official guide to what we do. But I wanted to try to give some credibility to my talk, so I thought maybe I would quote a page number once in a while. But I, I'm old, and uh, my memory's not too good, so I forget the page numbers. So I'm just going to make them up. So if I say something, you can kind of dig around in that book and see where it is, because I don't know where it is. but. It's like my wife and I have worked out a deal to kind of share the, uh, the memory responsibility. She remembers uh, who we are, and I remember where we're going. <laughs> kind of split the duties in half. So when I was invited to come up here, I was thinking that uh, uh, how great that would be to be with new AA friends that I haven't, I just don't know your names, but I know a lot about you, and you know a lot about me if you've read that book. And the closer I got to coming, the realize, I realized how, how really important it was to be here today. And when I woke up, I realized this is the most important day of my life. Today's the day I don't drink. And I hope it's important for you, too. Because before I found you, I thought tomorrow was the important day. Tomorrow, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to become a vegetarian tomorrow. I'm going <laughs> to quit smoking. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to quit drinking, or at least I'm going to cut way back in my drinking. <laughs> if I do drink, I may have one or two, maybe three, four at the most. <laughs> you, know how, you know how well that worked out. So I brought some smart water with me today, so it's going to kick, it, it's going to kick in in a couple of minutes here. I had a chance to speak out of town a while ago, and I uh, missed a flight that I was supposed to be on. The flight was delayed, and I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to arrive to where I was supposed to be to speak. And I was quite concerned about it, so I texted my host, 
uh, to ask him what to do. And I got a text back, uh, read page 449 and go to a meeting. <laughs> so. The, the, uh, the first time I ran across this smart water, one of my sponsees had given me a bottle of it. I was speaking someplace, and my throat was dry, and he ran and got me a bottle of water, and I couldn't get it open. Um, I guess you've got to be smart first to get it open. But, um, I love sponsees. Just a little bit of audience participation. How many people have sponsees here? Uh, who are, and how many people have sponsees with them here? I have a sponsee with me. I don't like to leave home without him. <laughs> Sponsees are fantastic. So I got to thinking about this uh, smart water. I, uh, uh, right out of college, I, got, I, had, uh, I had one good job in my career uh, early on in my drinking. And I worked for an advertising agency in Madison Avenue, New York. And I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea if somebody in the advertising industry would properly label whiskey. Because when you go to the store now and you buy a bottle, you don't know what you're going to get. But wouldn't it be great if you had a problem and you go to the store and say, I want some smart whiskey. Um, or I'm uh, kind of feeling kind of restless, going to get some of that traveling whiskey. You ever had any of that? <laughs> got to get out and read it. In the old days, you had to get up and find a newspaper to see where you were. Or how about that, you're kind of lonely, so you get some of that Dylan whiskey. <laughs> I was famous for calling people at 3 in the morning and did not want to hear from me. But I like that plucking whiskey. There's a story in the back of the book about uh, nursing a drink at the bar and being magically plucked from the bar and put in some exalted position of power and prestige. <laughs> I drank a lot of that stuff. But mostly what I got is puking and going to jail whiskey. Quicksand whiskey, rapacious creditor whiskey. Uh, that's kind of describes my drinking. So you know about my drinking now. But unfortunately, drinking's not my only problem. I got one other problem. I got a thinking problem. Thinking and drinking and drinking and thinking and thinking and drinking and drinking and thinking and drinking. It's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. You ever seen those 20 questions whether you're alcoholic or not? Try answering those 20 questions about your thinking. Is thinking you causing problems at home? And at work? You like to think alone? Would your life be better off if you stopped thinking altogether? Yeah. I hear at meetings a lot of times somebody will be talking about their thinking and they'll be saying something like, uh, oh, I've got this little hamster in my head and it runs around in this little cage. And I'm thinking, oh, how cute is that? I got a shit-slinging monkey in my head. <laughs> so I need, I need help. So I have a sponsor. My sponsor's name is Jack. And Jack, before he retired, was an, uh, he taught at an air traffic control s uh, school. And before I uh, retired, I taught at a prison. In the, it's called the Department of Corrections. So corrections and control. Jack and I have issues. <laughs> Jack was my second sponsor. My first sponsor was a woman named Donna. And uh, Donna was my sponsor for 18 years before she died. And uh, she moved to Smith River, River and she died uh, in this area. And uh, the last thing I remember Donna saying to me, she was a heavy smoker and she died from lung cancer. And Donna said, uh, sobriety is no fun when you can't breathe. And so Jack's been my sponsor for 18 years. There's a saying that uh, you hear an AA once in a while, be nice to the newcomer, he may be your sponsor someday. And uh, <laughs> I was nice to Jack when he got sober and now he's my sponsor. <laughs> But a lot of, a lot of people, uh, they like to brag about how, how long their sponsor's been sober, like, oh, my sponsor sponsored Moses. And, but what I like to brag about Jack is what a great program he works. It's a wonderful example of the program of AA. Abe Lincoln said something. You, 
It doesn't matter how tall your grandpa was, you got to do your own growing. No matter how much support we have around us and how long the people have been sober around us, we have to do our own growing. And I'm glad that I know that. I have a sobriety date also. It's December the 6th, 1982. It's the last time I smoked marijuana. We got any marijuana smokers here? That was a trick question. Do we have any ex-marijuana smokers here? All right. We don't smoke marijuana in Alcoholics Anonymous. AA is a program of abstinence. It's not a program of harm reduction. It's not, it's, it's not a self-help program either. It's a program of surrender. So I was outside a meeting one time, and I heard a, a newcomer uh, sharing with some people. Somebody had asked him what his sobriety date was. And the guy said, which one? Uh, I haven't had a crank for about three years, and I haven't smoked any pot for 18 months since I got out of jail. And uh, let's see, I would have had 90 days today, but I had a beer last night, so I got 89 days today. It's, ca it's called newcomer math. I have one sobriety date, and it's the only one I've ever had. And uh, I, I'm here to share that relapse does not have to be part of your story. Thank you. But I've also heard it said, if, if, if uh, I don't change my sobriety date, will. And I've changed, and I've been able to keep the same sobriety date. And my home, home group is the Auburn Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous in Auburn. Um, so th through a set of unfortunate circumstances and situations, I ended up in AA. And if that's happened to you, I'm, I'm really uh, sorry for you. But you're here with me, um, we'll make the best of it. So I end up in AA, and, and I'm, not, uh, I'm not even an alcoholic. I wasn't even drinking. I hadn't had a drink in quite a while. I'm not sure how long. I never knew I'd have to talk about it someday, but it was probably maybe close to a year I hadn't had a drink. But I was able to do that year without a drink by staying stoned all the time. <laughs> and... Uh, non-addictive marijuana before I got out of the bed in the morning. So I introduced myself as an existentialist. Um, I won't ask if there's any of those here today. But I was an alcoholic. So I'm going to meetings, and um, I'm so thankful that, that nobody said to me that I had to be an alcoholic to be there, because I would have had to have left. But there was something really special going on that kept drawing me back to the meetings. I mean, I could have asked myself, what is a person who's not an alcoholic doing here? But I didn't ask myself that. I just, my feet kept bringing me to the meetings. And what happened to me is I ended up catching alcoholism from you guys. So this is contagious. I caught it at AA meetings. I caught it through, through my ears. So I know sometimes when I, uh, I'm in the audience, which I usually am instead of up here, I sometimes get done uh, listening before the speaker gets done talking. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen to you, but um, I, I hope it does. And I wanted to say a couple things at the beginning that were important. I think I already have. And we've got a guy named Mel in our area who had the same problem. He would go, he couldn't hear the message, and he would come in and out and in and out. And he just wasn't able to hear what we were, what we were saying. And one time, in a drunken stupor, he wakes up, in the back of this bar, and there's a wino pissing in his ear. And he comes back to A, and here's just fine. So it, 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 it just takes what it takes. So I'm, you know, I, I, uh, I've got a guy that I sponsor that his sobriety dates the last time he did nutmeg. Now, when you do that, you get a name in A. He's Nutmeg Steve. And there's all these other people. When I get to A, I meet all these people like Boxcar Bill and Bicycle Bob and Dumpster Don and Machine Gun Tony and P-Bed Ed. And it's like, these guys are going to help me? And then I realized, you know, we talk a lot about singleness of purpose in AA, and that's really important to me, too. But the way I understand it is um, that we all have alcoholism. How we got alcoholism is different for each of us. 
Um, and the amount of drinking that we did is different for each of us. And I can look back now and realize that I thought alcoholism had something to do with quantity or frequency, but it doesn't have much to do with either one of those. You don't have to have drank the quantities that some people did or the frequency some people did to be alcoholic. It's just what happens to me when I do drink. And when I drink, I can't stop. And you best better get out of my way if I'm drinking because I'm going to get to the drink. But I can take that same skill and put it into my sobriety. It's like, don't get between me and my sobriety because that's too important to me. And if you do get in the way of my sobriety, you're going to have to go because I want to stay sober. <clears throat> so I'm digging around in that book. And I'm thinking there must be something in that book about marijuana because it seems to be a pretty important thing for a lot of people in California. And I couldn't find anything. I found something about being constitutionally incapable to be honest. That's kind of fits the marijuana description. But finally, after much searching, I found it buried in the book on page one. <laughs> Here lies a hamster grenadier who caught his death drinking small cold beer. A good soldier's never forgot whether he died by musket or by pot. There it is. Hard drugs aren't mentioned until page seven. <laughs> so I'm going to AA, and somebody tells me, uh, you, uh, you got an allergy. You're going to have to go to meetings for the rest of your life. I got to thinking about that. Um, my dad had an allergy to bananas. I never saw him eat a banana. He didn't go to BA. <laughs> I don't think there is such a thing, Bananas Anonymous. But he never came home from work and said, man, I had a rough day at work and I needed a couple bananas. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't talk to him the way alcohol talks to me. And the thing about alcohol talking to me, it talks in my own voice. So this voice, my voice, tells me all the reasons why I should have a drink. And I believe that voice. And so I don't have any defense against the, own, the voice I have in my head. So coming to AA, eventually, your voice gets stronger than my voice. And I'm able to start to do the things that you said that you did that helped you be sober. So well, I'm in AA for a while. And all I'm doing is going to meetings. It's all I was capable of doing. And this, uh, one of these old timers comes up and kind of pokes me on the chest. You know how they are. Said, hey, kid. And I was a 39-year-old 30, bachelor at the time. Hey, kid, you, uh, you got a sponsor? No, I, don't, I got this. I don't need a sponsor. You reading the book? Uh, no, I don't really like that book. Uh, I don't know Mr. Brown and uh, War Fever Rang High in that New England town. I just don't really care for that book that much. Uh, you praying? No, no, I, I don't, no. I don't believe in God. I'm not praying. You got a sponsor? You work in the, step, work in the steps? No, I don't like your 12 commandments. I'm not doing that. Uh, you meditating? No, no, my head's too busy for that. <laughs> then he asked me the kicker. Well, how's it going? <laughs> As you can well imagine, it wasn't going too well. As I see it, there's only a window of time from the, the putting down the drink and, uh, and, and working this program where it, it's, it was kind of fun not drinking when I first arrived with you. But that wears off after a time with, when I hadn't changed it at all. So one day, I, the thing that Shirley read, I, I got this how it works out, and I looked at it a little more carefully one time. And it says something about thoroughly following a path. And I was trying to wonder whether I had the skill set to be able to stay sober. And I thought, well, I can follow a path. I created a path to the liquor store. It was like a rut. I could go back and forth to the liquor store, writing bad checks. I mean, I know how to do that. And it's like, I like to mow lawns. And when you mow a lawn, look over your shoulder. You can't even see your footprints because they, they, the lawn is healthy. They pop right back. But to create a path, it takes hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, walking over the same ground time and time and time again. 
and a path is created. You go to a school or college, you can see these paths that students have created to get, basically they're shortcuts. It's the shortest distance to get from one place to someplace else. And that's really kind of what AA is. It's the shortest distance to get from uh, the life of self-destruction that I was doing to the life that I have now. It's the shortest distance between those two points. But a path takes, it takes a guide to go on a path. So we, we, have, we get a sponsor in AA because we need someone to show us how to do this thing. Um, and it turns out that the path, is, the journey is more important than the path. So the, the, the path is the 12 steps, but the journey that we're taking the, the steps is what's important. It's like when you go to the doctor, it's like the prescription's not important, it's the medicine that's important. Or you go to dinner at a restaurant, it's not the menu that's important, it's the meal that's important. So I thought, okay, I can, I can do that. And then it says something about uh, uh, people who don't recover cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program. I thought, well, I can do that. I completely gave myself to alcohol. Alcohol said, get in the car, bitch, and I got in the car. <laughs> I did what alcohol told me to do. Told me where to go, who to hang out with, where to spend my money. It owned me. I can, I can do that. Then it says something about being honest. You know, I'd lied to myself so long I had no idea what the truth was. I couldn't differentiate the truth from the false. That's in the book. I don't know what page that's on. Um, but I listen, you know, I never read in a book. I like reading books. But I never recall reading a book and seeing a paragraph or two which kind of taught me how to be honest or showed me how to be honest. But when I, when I heard you speaking, I knew you were telling the truth about yourself. And I learned what the truth is by you telling the truth about yourself. And I learned to start to tell the truth about myself. Then it says something about if you want what we have. I'm like, well, if you don't drink, that's pretty cool. And I'm here a little longer, and it's like, oh, you don't drink, and you like not drinking. That's a big step from not drinking. And I'm here a little longer, and I realize that this is the beauty of AA, I think, is relieve me of the bondage of self. You care about other people, and it shows, and you're willing to help other people. It's a, it's a beautiful quality people in AA have, and I wanted that. Then it says something about um, half measures of ill is nothing. And I thought, and I understand that to mean, okay, if all I do is quit drinking, that's half. And that's not going to avail me anything. I've got to do the other half, which is work the steps. I've got to change. So quitting drinking is not what keeps us together in A. It's that we change by working the steps. Then it's a Sunday about uh, willing to go to any length. And I thought, no, I'm not willing to do No, I'm not going to do that one. You're going to ask me to do something weird. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I don't know why I thought that, but I find out after being here for a while is that I get to be the best me. I get to live in my skin and be okay with that. You're not asking me to do anything that's contrary to my best me. It's a beautiful thing. Then it says something about letting go absolutely. I don't know what that means. But I think of a story of a guy who's out hiking, and he slips and falls, and he grabs onto a branch, and he's, he's facing certain death and, uh, if he lets go of the branch, and he screams out, is anybody there? Help, help, is anybody there? And after a long silence, he hears this booming voice, let go. And he says, is there anybody else there? And this is somebody about fearless and thorough. It's like, how can, I'm a half-asser. You know, I, I don't know how to do anything thoroughly. And, and the book talks about we have 100 forms of fear. 63, something like that. Um, so how do you be fearless when you're full of fear? I don't understand that one. Uh, then it says something about, uh, these are suggestions. And I, oh, I was really happy to see that. These are suggestions. Uh, that, that's good news. But then it turns out, I heard somebody talking about this a while ago, uh, they're the only suggestions we have. <laughs> we don't have a second set of suggestions. 
if you don't like our suggestions, you've got to go to BB or CC or something else because they're not AA. <laughs> then it says something about without help, it's too much. I understood that. I knew I couldn't beat the game by myself. And then it says something about God. I think, well, oh, God. I studied philosophy in college, and I was not interested in God. But for whatever reason, that mention of it and you talking about it was not sufficient to run me off. Because I heard people say, if it does run you off, booze will run you back. So I was able to set aside for the moment in my mind this discussion of the higher power because I was so attracted to the love that you showed me and the, the way that I didn't agree with what you said, but the way you make me felt was fantastic. And I wanted to be with you. And so I kept coming back. And what happened to me is one, my sister recommended I go see this guy named Howard, who was a, he's an AA member, but he's also a family uh, therapist. I went to see Howard. And uh, I basically cried in his office for an hour. Snot cried. And I told Howard the truth. I'd, I had never told anybody the truth. I would describe my drinking as sleazy and secretive. And I heard somebody tell me once that AA people or alcoholics really, rather than going to psychiatrists and counselors, they should go to veterinarians because veterinarians are used to guessing what's wrong with their patients. So at the end of the hour, Howard got out a piece of paper and he wrote at the top, prescription. This guy's not a doctor, he tricked me. And he said, get on your knees and pray. And he handed me that and I handed him $50. It's like a $50 fifth step with no fourth step. And Howard gave me a number, he says, call this, it was a woman, he says, call this woman. And so I started to do that. I said, I would say, God, what do you want me to do and give me the power to do it? And I say thank you at the end of the night for another day of sobriety. And I called this number, and it was Donna. And I said, would you be my sponsor? I'd never met her before. I didn't know her at all. And she said, yes, if I would work the steps, go to four meetings a week, write in a journal, and share my journal with her once a week. And I agreed to do that. So we started off working the steps. Looking back at my drinking, it was very clear that I couldn't stop when I started. And I'd done this one experiment, which I thought was brilliant to prove to myself that I wasn't alcoholic. By this time I was working, I was a bartender, which is the only job I could get from, from Madison Avenue to attending a sleazy bar. And I decided to not drink for 30 days because I said an alcoholic couldn't do that. And I didn't drink for 30 days. Or rough, I think I didn't drink for 30 days. And I decided to have a glass of wine to celebrate not drinking for 30 days. <laughs> Uh, this was at noon, and I was in jail at midnight that night. So I set out to prove I wasn't an alcoholic, and I, set, and I ended up proving I am alcoholic, because when I drink, I can't stop. But there's another section to that first step. It's called, I call it step one, part B, where I can look back at my life and see that I was a poor manager of my life. I did a poor job managing my own life. I burned it to the ground pretty much. I had a lot of potential as a kid. I could have been a contender. And I just, uh, it's like alcohol gave me wings and then it took the sky away. I mean, it just, it, it just everything, I, I just, well, you know, anyway. So I need a new manager. And one of the things that I do that's helped me a lot, realizing that I'm not the manager, I don't ask the question why. As I see it, why is a management question? Or why is a question to have an argument with God? For instance, why am I alcoholic? Why do children die? There's millions of why questions that a person could ask. I don't ask them, because I'm not in management. I'm in footwork. The question I ask myself is, what am I gonna do about it? That for me is a good question. Because I've learned that when I'm fighting reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> and when I could finally accept and see that I was alcoholic and couldn't manage my own life, my life started to get better. That's the place I had to start. 
You can't change something you can't name. I had to put a name on it. I used to like, I often went to the store and I'd buy a bottle of scotch, a carton of Marlboro, and a self-help book. <laughs> and so what the hell is wrong with me? And I wanted to figure out what was wrong with me. Well, I get to AA and I find out there's a name for what I have. It's called alcoholism. That's what I have. That's, that's my diagnosis. I have alcoholism. So I need to stay with you because this is how I treat my alcoholism. So I get to step two and I think, you know, we all have these crazy stories of stuff we've done when we're drinking. And I realized that the most insane thing I ever did, I did when I was sober. I picked up another drink. For a guy like me to pick up a drink, I'm crazy to do that, knowing what happens to me when I drink. So I need to be restored to sanity. I'd like to tell a story about uh, step two. I worked in the prison system as a teacher for 15 years. And uh, I did kind of an informal survey of my students, asking them uh, if they'd been to AA or heard about AA. And as you can imagine, a lot of people in prison have heard of AA and have been to AA. But I asked them some more questions. Have you ever been more than a year sober in AA? Have you ever had a sponsor in AA? Have you ever worked the steps? Have you ever had a service commitment? And in my 15 years, I probably had 25 guys say yes to all those questions. And all 25 of them told me it was the best time of their life. They typically had a job. They had an old lady. They had a place to live. They had a car. Life was good. I asked him one more question. What are you doing in prison? They all had the same answer. I think you know what the answer is. I stopped going to meetings. So the way that I see it is I would have to go crazy to take a drink. I've been restored to sanity. So in order for me to go crazy, all I have to do is stop going to the meetings. Because people who stop going to the meetings drink. And if they've been restored to sanity, they have to go crazy to drink. So I stay with you so I don't go crazy. You help me to avoid the insanity of the first drink. And a saying that came out of that that I like a lot is I don't let the life that AA gave me get in the way of my AA way of life. This is a way of life. And I don't let all the goodness that I have, which a lot of, I mean, my life is rich and full, but I don't let that get in the way of my AA way of life. Because if I do, I know what will happen, because I see it happen all the time. I'll pick up a drink. So I get to three, I go to my sponsor and say, well, I guess we're done. <laughs> I don't believe in God. She said, what? she said, don't worry about that right now. And I said, also, AA is so full of contradictions, it doesn't make any sense at all. This doesn't make any sense at all. She says, what are you talking about? I said, well, the book says something about we're prey to misery and depression, but we're not a glum lot. <laughs> it says uh, the problem of the alcoholic is in his mind, page 21. Uh, but we go to the meeting and it says, think, think, think. Or it says, uh, the book says we've recovered from alcoholism or we're recovering from alcoholism. Uh, join us on the broad highway. But the, the road narrows. Um, somebody will say, you're somebody saying in the meeting, uh, keep it simple, stupid. It's not rocket science. The guy next to me will say, yeah, it's way more complicated than that. You have to give it away to keep it. Go to your branch manager and tell him that at the bank. Oh, I gave it all away. Surrender to win. I'm sure all the military folks really agree with that one. You have to, be die, you have to die to be born again. It's like, what was wrong with the first time I was born? Thank goodness it's only suggestions. Why are there over 100 musts in the first 164 pages? Um... God could and would if he were sought. The page before that is, may you find him now. Do you have to find him or can you just look for him? There is one who has all power. That one is God. All, but remember how powerful alcohol is. Same sentence. So how can alcohol be powerful if God has all the power? I think about this kind of stuff. Don't get any relationships the first year. But get a sponsor and tell him all your shit. That's a relationship. 
Don't make any major decisions the first year, but turn your will and your life over to the care of God. That's a major decision. Or my favorite one, half measures avail us nothing. You'd be amazed before you're halfway through. There's probably a lot more that I didn't mention, but. So then my sponsor says, oh, are there any contradictions in your life? I thought, oh. And I got to thinking about that, and I had uh, I'd graduated from UCLA, and I'd moved to Europe to just travel around and wander someplace, and I ran out of money pretty quickly, and I'd wired a friend and uh, begged them or asked them to send me $200, which they did. This was in the 60s. That would have been enough to live for months in Europe at that time. And I got the money like at noon, and I uh, woke up the next morning, and it was all gone. No bruises on me. I still had my watch, so uh, I just... I guess I just played the big shot and drank it all up. And I thought, you know, there's a line in the book, 34 maybe, uh, about how it, in a lot of ways we're really normal except when it comes to drinking. And I thought, you know, that's probably true with me. I've never gone into a grocery store and say, hey, could I buy everybody a loaf of bread? <laughs> and that night I was sprayed with lice spray and I stayed in a mission. And I still had 10 more years of drinking. And so I look at this third step. I'm, and I'm not one of these guys that, that I'm not one of the God does it all school of thought. Maybe there are a lot of people in AA that, that are that way, and that's fine. I'm like the, the, the guy who's a farmer, and he buys this old farm, and it's all run down. And he works really hard. All the buildings are dilapidated, and he paints everything, and all the equipment, he gets running really good, and all the weeds are gone. It's a beautiful farm. And a neighbor comes by one day and says, wow, you and God did a fabulous place on this farm. And the guy said, you should have seen it when God had it. <laughs> so I, I, had a, I, had a, I was a landscape contractor for a long time before I went to the prison system. And I had an electric jackhammer. And that jackhammer did nothing. It, you had to plug it into the power first. So I, ha I had to have a, a plug someplace to plug it in. But after I plugged it into the power, it still just laid there until I picked it up and did something with it. And for me, sobriety is all like that, too. I get to be plugged into the power, but I still have to do something. So God provides the power but I still have to do the work. And so I focused on this word decision in the third step because I was still struggling with this higher power concept. And what I decided to do was work steps four through nine, which, which you told me you did that and your life changed. So I became willing to do the things that you said that you did in hopes that my life would change too. And it turns out that uh, the, the, the spiritual laws that we deal with here work for everybody. It's not like I got lucky and I get to stay sober because they work for me. They, they work for everybody who works them. It's like gravity. If I get up on the roof, if we all get up on the roof, we all fall down on our ass. Gravity doesn't, is no re respecter of people. We all are affected by gravity. Just as we're all affected by the principles of the program of AA, the spiritual laws that we deal with here. So I set out to do the things you said you did. And I got a piece of paper, opened it up, stared at it for a couple months, <laughs> put my dad's name at the top. I heard a story recently about a guy who his sponsor was saying, when are you going to finish your fourth step? It's taking forever. And the guy says, I'm 95% done. All I got to do is write it down. <laughs> it's kind of the way that I was. So finally, I started writing. And my father was an alcoholic, and I, I hated him. I, I, for, there was a period of maybe seven years or so, if I saw him, I'd go across the street, I wouldn't even talk to him. And I don't even know why, looking back on it, but I started writing and started crying and, and started feeling the feelings that I felt about growing up in this alcoholic home. And I called my sister, and, and I called in sick to work, and I just wrote and cried and wrote and cried. And... Something changed that day. I, I stopped hating my father that day. And I had nothing, I had nothing but love for him after that. I, I, don't, I can't explain it. 
Um, I moved around a lot, so I didn't, there's a lot of people that I don't even know their names or where they are, but it, so my, my fourth step really was not that, uh, wasn't that complicated. Um, my fears list uh, had God on it and women, and those are two very important relationships. They're difficult to have if they're fear-based. Uh, my my uh, secrets were all around uh, sleazy sexual things I did, but I did the best that I could. I didn't have a lot of insights from doing it, but I didn't leave anything off on purpose. It was the best I could do at the time. And I go to do my fifth step, and it's kind of a cold, rainy day in November, and uh, I'm driving out to this property that I had, and uh, it was the day that trash is picked up and there's a lot of cans that were knocked over and my, my sponsor was saying how she was seeing a lot of trash and uh, I do my fifth step which to me was like emptying a, a trash can my life was, was a trash can at that point and on the way back to her house we saw a rainbow and it touched me very deeply that there's some wonderful promises when we do a fifth step page 75 if you want to look uh, some wonderful, and those things happened to me. I got really excited about my sobriety that day because I was thinking, I'm doing the things that you said you did. And uh, six and seven, that's going to, whoa, that's going to be easy. It's just a couple little paragraphs. But as I'm ready to do six and seven, some, some time had passed. And um, when I got sober, I had an alcoholic truck. And... <laughs> I'm sure there's, I didn't look in the parking lot too carefully, but usually most AA clubs have one. Uh, you know, the, the windows cracked and the uh, doors are a different color and somebody else tags around the back and the tires are bald and there's no insurance and there's, there's bumps everywhere and there's upholstery, the springs are coming through the upholstery. And, um, after I was sober a while, I bought a new car. It was the nicest car I ever had and I called it my sobriety car. And... I started to uh, go to a lot of meetings because I was trolling. I hadn't had a date for about five years, um, and I was incredibly lonely. I had no idea how lonely I was until I came to A and found out a little while how lonely. I had nothing to compare it with. And so I'm going to a lot of meetings because I wouldn't, if, if there was a woman who would have gotten in that truck with me, I would not want to have anything to do with her. That's how bad that truck was. So I didn't, I, I was completely isolated. So I'm going to meetings, and I, I meet a woman. And her name was Betty. I don't know if she said to me, come outside, and I'll work you into my story. I don't know how that all went down. <laughs> but our, our idea of a date was going to a meeting. And uh, I'd be walking her back to her door after a meeting, and um, I didn't know whether to, I'd be holding her hand. I don't know whether to kiss her or say the Lord's Prayer. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to use A as a dating service, but I will say this, that the odds are very good, but the goods are very odd. <laughs> Me, uh, pr present company included. <laughs> so I get married to Betty, and uh, Betty has two children when I marry her, a 13-year-old boy named Sean and a seven-year-old girl named Angela. And I'd never been married. I'd never been a father. Betty had a sister, so I got to, and she had kids. I got to be an uncle, a father, and a husband all on the same day. Didn't know how to do any of those stuff. And I'm working this program. And I'm finding out, as I learn how to take my inventory, which is one of the most powerful tools we have, I get to see that I'm a fault finder. I find fault in you. You, you can't do it right. And I'm going to point it out to you, and I'm going to push you out of my life. That's what I do to people. I have this internationally accepted standard gift of knowing how to do shit, and you don't. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. You don't know how to do the dishes. So I, so I have to end up doing the dishes. Because nobody knows how to do them right. So I want to... I wanted to try to, I wanted to learn how to be a good husband and a good father and a good uncle. And so what I'd started to do, and you taught me this, I started to treat my family the way you treated me when I was a newcomer. I started treating them as newcomers. And I started writing Angela little notes 
When I first started, she'd say, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my dad. You're not the boss of me. You know how kids are. And I'm starting to learn how to do this. And and over time, uh, the relationships get so much better. And this little seven-year-old eventually asked me to walk her down the aisle. I'm the stepdad. I got to pay for the check. I got to write checks for that wedding, too. (laughs) And her biological father was at the wedding, and he thanked me for raising his daughter. You gave me that. I don't know how to, I'm a fault finder. I don't know how to do that. Sean was 13, and he, he um, I didn't know this at the time, but he was, I had my head up my ass the first couple of years, as most of us do, and he, I didn't, he was getting into his own disease, and I didn't, I didn't see that, or I didn't know that, and he was about 17, so this was in my fifth year of sobriety. Uh, he borrowed my car. It was my sobriety car. And he uh, went out and got drunk, and he smashed it. And I was so mad at him. That's my sobriety car. How could you do that? And uh, I was angry. And uh, he was in jail. It was ugly. And some Al-Anons came to our house. They did a 12-step call on us. House calls. Al-Anon does house calls in Auburn. <laughs> and uh, thank God for that. One of the Al-Anon women said to me, well, maybe it's not your sobriety car. Maybe it's Sean's sobriety car. <laughs> he was 17. Next month, he'd have, next month, he'd have 32 years of sobriety. <laughs> I have a son with 32 years of sobriety. What a gift. Wow. So... Uh, I'm trying to clean the, my past up. My, my uh, eighth-step list was not too long. The people I hurt the most were my, my mom and my dad. Um, I have two sisters, but they, didn't, they weren't affected much by my disease, I don't believe. So my father, whom I came to love, I invited him to come and live with us. He came and moved into our home. And I said, you could stay forever if you want to. And he lasted about three weeks. And he's, and he's a fault finder. And we didn't, we, we didn't do something right. And he says, I'm out of here. And he left, and he died a very lonely man. My, my mom died when I had five years of sobriety. And I got to be a good son for her, to her for her last years. My fifth year was a really rough year. My, my, uh, the first thing that happened was Betty's sister was killed in a car accident. And uh, she had three children that were in the car with her at the time. And uh, that was in April. And then uh, in the summer, my mom died. And then uh, in October, it was when Sean smashed my car. And it's amazing how AA people rallied around us that, that year. I was in the middle of AA at that time. And you just surrounded yourself with your love. And you protected me in, in a way that I just uh, could not have been able to do it without you. A little update on those people. The boys that were in the car, the uh, middle one, who was five, was paralyzed in that accident. And he died three years ago from drug addiction. Um, The uh, eight-year-old died this year from cancer. And the 30-day-old, 30 30 days old, will celebrate three years of sobriety next month. So, ooh. So, you know, um, a couple of uh, men's stories that touched my heart the most would involve money. Uh, not large amounts of money. One was $10 and one was $5. The $10 one, my, uh, I, I was a, the secretary of a step study meeting, and we used to go to lunch afterwards, and I went to this cafe that I went to a lot of times, and I got $10 too much in change. And I, I thought, well, it's not my job to teach you how to count. So I just put it in my pocket, and I went about my business. And, and we were probably on step nine at the meeting. But I, I go in there like two weeks later, and the woman says, uh, I'm selling the restaurant. And I thought, well, if I'm going to pay her back the money, it's going to have to be today. So I asked, I asked her to step aside and say, you know, I wanted to, uh, I was in here a few weeks ago, and I got too much money in change. I want to give it back. And she said, are you sure? And I said, lady, I would not be giving this back if I wasn't sure. And I started to cry. It was the best $10 high I ever had. Uh, 
It helped me pay the IRS back, which was a lot more than $10. But uh, the $5 men, my, uh, Sean got sober, as I, as I mentioned, and he went to school in San Diego State. And he called me a year or so later after he was down there and said that he had been stealing from me and wanted to pay me back. And I got really excited about that because I know that uh, usually it's how it works, and then we say why it works. We look at the traditions. And then we look back at step nine and say, when it works. The, the power of step nine is incredible. And I, I was so excited for Sean. So he said he was poor. I knew he was poor, so he sent me five bucks. Uh, so I sent him back 100 just because I was, I was doing pretty well at work. And, and I was excited for him uh, getting tied up to the spiritual laws of the universe. So I sent him 100 And a little, while, a little time goes by. And I get another $5 in the mail eventually. And, and I sent him another hundred. <laughs> All of a sudden, the five started coming fast. <laughs> yeah. uh, if I was to have a favorite step, I think it would be ten. Uh, but when I first looked at ten, I thought of this guy who he was a construction worker, and uh, he would go to He's on the job and it's lunchtime and he'd open his lunch pail and say, oh man, tuna sandwich, I hate tuna. And then Tuesday comes, he sits down for lunch, looks at his lunch pail, oh tuna, I hate tuna. Wednesday comes and some of his, some of his buddies say, you know, he looks at his lunch pail, tuna, he says, why don't you get something, why don't you have your wife make you something else? He says, oh, I live alone. <laughs> There's two things I hate, the way things are and change. <laughs> but, I, but I get to learn how to take my inventory. And before I found you, I always thought it was your fault. I was one of these fault finders. And I learned by taking my inventory that I'm the problem. See, if you're the problem, there can't be any solution for me. But I'm the problem. I love a couple of lines in the literature. Uh, I need to concentrate not so much wrong with the world, but what's wrong with me and my attitude, around 417. And uh, a line in the 12 and 12, it's a spiritual axiom. Whenever I'm disturbed, the, the, the problem is me. It's never you. It's always me. And I get to do something about that. You know, I've learned. I have the tools. I often say to myself, I could feel peace instead of this. I don't have to be agitated about something. I have a choice. I, I've learned how to be the gatekeeper of my thoughts. I'm not responsible for the thought coming, but what I do with it, I'm responsible for. And I find that my unhappiness, and most people that I work with, their unhappiness almost always comes from them believing something that's not true. I love that line in the book about Avoid the deliberate manufacture of misery. And I can look at the misery that I cause myself. It's almost always when I'm thinking about something that's not true. So I make a real effort to not think about things I don't want to have happen. It frees up a lot of thinking. I like to give the example of uh, the out in the corner here, there's a traffic signal. And it goes green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red. That's what it does. It's doing that right now. And... I come up to the light and I got a story about it. Say I want it to be green, but it's not, it's not always green when I get there. So the most misquoted line in all the literature, in all of AA, is when people say what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. That's not what it says. It says what we were like, what happened, and what we're like now. So it is the light. It's green, yellow, red. What am I bringing to the party? I know a guy that every time he gets to a red light, he stops and thanks God for his sobriety. So he changes the story about the light. I know somebody else that he closes his eyes for a second and thanks his higher power. He says, someone will always let you know when the light turns green. <laughs> I like a story that, was, that Buddha told. Uh, Buddha stubbed his toe a lot because he walked barefoot a lot. And... Uh, he wished that the world were softer. And he thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was enough cows in the world 
to cover the world with something softer like, like cowhide. He knew that wasn't true, so he wrapped his feet in leather and the whole world changed. It's not, it's not what you're looking at, it's what you're looking with. And changing my mind, I can change my life. It's, it's, a, it's not just a bumper sticker, it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful tool that we have available to us. I heard something about step 11 that I liked. It's, instead of saying sought through prayer and meditation, it said sought by paying attention. When I pay attention, I'm where the power is. Because the power can only be in one place. It can only be right here, right now. That's where the power is. So when I'm connected to right now, I'm where God is. And that's a really neat place to be. Um, there's uh, some prayers that I like that I use. They're short. Uh, one is help. Another is thanks. And the third one is, wow. <laughs> we have a lot of topic discussion meetings in the town that I live in. And in every meeting I ever go to, before it's even halfway through, someone's going to say, what's the topic? And under my breath I say, it's paying attention. <laughs> That's always the topic. When, when my heart and my head and my feet are, always in, are all three in the same place, I'm where God is. I don't know if you've ever heard, you've ever been any place where you heard a public announcement, you hear like, now hear this, now hear this. Kind of change that to now hear this. That's where the power is. Uh, Twelve, I love uh, carrying the message of sobriety to people. I don't cram the message like I used to. Um, my buddy Steve and I uh, started the Back to Basics in our area where we worked all 12 steps in four weeks. I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but it's something that people are doing around the U.S. Uh, we love uh, supporting tapers, and we, just give a lot, we make a lot of CDs and give out to newcomers. And uh, we do a lot of H&I work. And we love calling people on their birthday. So if you'd like us to call you on your birthday, just, uh, Steve has a daily reflections, and you just sign that, we'll, we'll call you on your birthday. We love doing that. Um, I'm a better person as a result of being an AA. Uh, I haven't chased anybody down on the freeway, missed my stop because I'm trying to teach you how to drive for what a, quite a while. I don't typically count how many items you have in your basket in the 10 item lane. Although I did tap a guy on the shoulder the other day. He had uh, three, three handles of bourbon and a six pack of Coke. And I said, what are you doing with all that Coke? And I don't, I rarely have arguments dri driving down the freeway looking around and realize I'm the only person in the car. So I'm, I'm a better person as a result of doing this program. But the main thing about step 12 that I love is I've woken up. I was like a dead man prior to getting to you. It's curious the words we use for in our addiction. I was stoned. I was a stone. And I come to you and I get to wake up. I'm, I'm present in my own life. What a treat that is. Um, I, I like to tell a story about, a, it's called the cookie thief. It's, and this kind of explains my uh, awakening. And it, my awakening is all about how wrong I was about so many things. And this woman is at the airport and she is reading the novel and she's got a bag of cookies in, in the chair next to her. And there's somebody sitting in the other chair. And she's reading her novel and she eats a cookie once in a while. And she looks over and sees the gentleman in the other chair eat one of the cookies. She's kind of shy, so she doesn't say anything. And this goes on for a while. She eats a cookie, and then he eats a cookie. And he gets down to one cookie. He breaks it in half and gives her half. And just then her, her flight's called. So she gets up and gets on her plane, gets settled in, gets out her knapsack. And she reaches for her book, and there's her cookies. She was eating his cookies. It's like... Oh, I had, it all, I had it all wrong. I was wrong about God. I thought that was punishment. God is punishment somehow. 
no, no, that's not how it is. I get tapped into this power and I get set free. I was wrong about you. I thought people in age didn't, didn't know much about anything and you're the most beautiful, wonderful people in the world. I was wrong about that book. That's a fabulous book. There is no better book written about recovery from alcoholism. I was wrong about love. I thought I wasn't getting enough love. I wasn't giving enough love. I was wrong about taking. I thought if you wanted something, you had to take it. I took and took and took, and it was all gone. And now I give and give, and I have so much more than I ever had before. I was wrong about trust. I thought I couldn't trust you. No, I can't trust me. I'm not, don't leave me alone. I can't be trusted. I was wrong about gratitude. I thought you only should be grateful for stuff that you liked. I don't like that. I don't like being an alcoholic. I'm not grateful for that. Well, that turns out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. I don't know what's, well, I don't know what pile to put stuff in. So now I just have one pile. So thank you, God. So all these things, everything I had backwards. And I get to come to you, and now I see the whole world differently. It's like the world hasn't changed, but I see it very differently. I see, you know, I've been in AA for 36 years, and I see a lot of people, uh, we call it the passing parade. And uh, sometimes somebody will run into me and say, oh, I know you from someplace. And I say, it's not good news. <laughs> I taught a DUI class for 20 years. I'm in AA 36 years, and I worked in a prison for 15 years. It's one of those three places. <laughs> but I see this in, I, I see a lot of people, and I, I see sobriety like it's an escalator. And the escalator is going down, and I want to go up. So I have to keep walking. I've got to keep going, because the second I stop, I'm going down. And there's no coasting in AA. It's like we're either going away from a drink or towards a drink. So I want to make sure I keep walking. So I want to give you a little, my little interpretation of what it would look like to work the steps backwards. Twelve. Well, I got principles. It's a doggy dog world, and I got to get mine before you get it. Eleven. I pray. Me, me, me. More, more, more. Now, now, now. Amen. <laughs> Ten. I take inventory. Yours. I don't see how you stay sober doing the way you're doing. Does someone help tie your shoes in the morning? Eight, uh, I forgot, I'm not going to do nine. I'm not gonna, I don't want to pay the money back. I'm going to skip nine. Eight, I got a list. It's a shit list, and your name's on it. Seven, if I had a fault, I'd pick humility. Six, I like that Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. Five, I'm not copping anything even if you have pictures. Four, I can't get a break. I live in this town called Pityville, population one. There's this shit fairy that follows me around. It's always dumping on my head. I'm so unlucky. If I fell in a barrel of tits, I'd come out sucking my thumb. Three. I'm not turning my will over to God. What if he messes it up? Two. I've got all this information now. Uh, I'm good. I can't imagine ever picking up a drink. Thank you very much. One, I might have just been thirsty. I might have been overreacting. I wonder what that cherry vodka tastes like. And you know what happens when I take a drink? Click, click. Handcuffs. When they put handcuffs on you, you can't even be trusted with your own hands. Go to jail. Empty your, empty your pockets, sir. Money, won't have any of that anymore. My car keys, there's a little camel there that starts on its knees and goes 24 hours without a drink. That's going to go. My sobriety coin, till I know self be true, I'll be lying to myself so fast I won't need that. Picture of my granddaughter, I won't be able to see her. Driver's license, that's going to go. Credit cards. I didn't have any of those when I got sober, and I won't have any of those again. My wedding ring, I would take that off, but I can't get it off. <laughs> uh, when I quit smoking, I gained 20 pounds, 50 pounds, <laughs> 60 pounds. 
I could put my teeth out here too, but I wouldn't do that because that's not appropriate. <laughs> everything good in my life, everything good in my life is a direct result of me being with you. Everything good in my life. I'm not going to give that up for a drink. But I need to be with you to make sure that doesn't happen. These steps are amazing. Uh, one, two, three gets me right with God. Four, five, six gets me right with me. Seven, eight, nine gets me right with you. Ten keeps me right with me. Eleven keeps me right with God. Twelve keeps me right with you. It's a set of, set of principles, spiritual in nature. When practices a way of life, of expel the obsession to drink and may be happy and usefully whole. What a blessing. What a, what a gift. You know, uh, continuing on after the 12 steps and how it works, it says something about we're not saints, which is really good. Then it says something about uh, what's the point. I remember sometimes in, while drinking and, in, and sobriety of, of uh, listening to this Kansas song, Dust in the Wind. You know, we're all dust in the wind, and what's the point? Well, there's an answer there. The point is to grow spiritually. Well, what does that mean? How does that, what does that look like? And, you know, in my readings, I see time and time again that the single most important thing we can do to grow spiritually is to be kind to each other. When we're kind to each other, we get to grow spiritually. And if you, if you can't do that, I hope you can be kind to yourself. Because if you can learn to be kind to yourself, then you can't help but learn to be kind to us. It's kind of the way the universe works. I want to close by just mentioning something about three pertinent ideas that are in the back of, of how it works. Way back in that book, maybe that's why they call it a big book, way back on page 568, it says something about there's three indispensables for recovery, uh, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And when I looked at the pertinent ideas, the indispensable qualities match up very well with them. A, I've got to get honest about the fact that I'm alcoholic. B, I've got to get open-minded about the fact that the solution may not be what I think it should be. And C, I need to be willing to seek after this power. Thank you very much.